Would it surprise you terribly this morning if I told you that you are being lied to? Maybe not. Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't uh, because we're being lied to all the time. Uh, it is a regular practice. I was uh, thinking about it in my lesson this week, and I thought, I want to uh, find a good example of a way that we're being lied to, and I, I was kind of stymied by it, um, not because I couldn't find a way that we were being lied to, but because there were too many to choose from. We're being lied to about so many different things right now. Uh, it's, you know, it's an election year, and so if you're looking for information on political candidates, you can always count on there being lots of deception around that. Uh, there's, there's lies coming out of the protests. There's lies about the pandemic. Really, anything that matters to you, anything that matters to us as human beings, somebody is telling you lies about it. Maybe telling you more lies then you have even have access to the truth about it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're making this stuff up, but there is selective reporting. I choose uh, from all the information that I have, I choose what information I'm going to give to you so that I can influence you in one direction or another. Uh, I put a spin on the facts that I give you or I offer you my opinion as facts and sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes they're just plain making it up. Just making it up. I've heard a number of times uh, here in this last month that we are currently facing the worst epidemic that we have faced in 100 years. So I decided I'd check. Let's take a look. Worldwide mortality. That's COVID-19 at the top. I don't know if you can see that from out there. 0.0052% uh, of the current world population has been killed by COVID-19 so far. Well, not exactly. That's an estimate. That's an estimate because all the data is not in and a lot of countries don't report and we don't exactly know exactly what's going on. If you look at actual confirmed cases, the actual confirmed number of deaths that are attributed to COVID-19 at this point is uh, 760,000 worldwide, which is a lot. 760,000 people have died with COVID-19. Of course, there are about 60 million people who die on this planet every year, so let's just keep that in perspective. 670,000, though, is not 0.0052%. It's actually 0.0001% of the 7.6 billion people on the planet. So this is an estimate. It's a rather generous estimate. You notice on the bar graph, it doesn't even show up. It is uh, the worst epidemic in 100 years, according to many, although you have to leave AIDS out of the picture in order for that to be true. 
Uh, AIDS has affected about half a percent of the world's population. In other words, for COVID-19 to catch up with AIDS, a hundred times the number of people who currently died will have to die in order to catch up with AIDS. We used this, uh, this phrase the last hundred years because if you go 101 years, then you have to take into account the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu affected two and three quarters percent of the world's population in order to catch up with the Spanish flu. COVID-19 would have to kill 500 times as many people as it has killed thus far. Now, I'm not supposed to tell you any of this. Because as a minister, as an influencer, as a community leader, to whatever extent I could be attributed that, I'm supposed to make sure that you take this seriously. And if I give you these facts, you might not take it seriously. I think that you're intelligent people. I think you take this seriously. I think you know that the folks who are affected by it are seriously affected by it. I think you also understand that 99.9% .9 or more of the people who are affected by it will not have a major problem. And you will make your decisions accordingly. We've been told over and over and over again that we need to follow the science. Listen to the science. And if you're not doing what I think you should be doing about it, you're just not paying attention to the science. The science, the science. It's always about the science. Well, to quote one of my favorite movies, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. We like facts when they can be spun to support our pre-existing assumptions. When the facts don't fit, we don't care for them anymore. They become a liability. And our culture has kind of reached a point where uh, they call it canceling now. But we basically try to shut down anybody who presents facts or opinions, for that matter, that contradict what we think they're supposed to tell us. Well, uh, you know, since uh, it's kind of a running theme here about my prophetic abilities, uh, people joking about it in class just this morning, so uh, we'll play our favorite game once again, uh, Doug's Prophetic Credentials. Uh, just uh, not quite a year ago today, I said, any claim to truth that is authenticated by lies and is threatened by reality is suspect. Not offering you my opinion about COVID-19, about protests, about anything else. What I'm saying is, if we have to lie in order to make you believe, and if facts presented, relatively objectively presented facts, are a threat to the narrative that I'd like to present to you, then that narrative is suspect. And we should hold it 
as suspect. The problem is that nearly all of the truths that are being repeated to us over and over again about anything and everything that matters to you as a human being, all of the truths that are being repeated to us, most of them are built on this very foundation, built on a foundation of deception that requires that I control what facts you have and which you don't so that you will believe me and I can control you. And that is the case simply because deception is the world's native language. John says in 1 John 5 that the world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus says in John 8, the evil one is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. This is normal. This is natural for him. So when the world tells lies more readily than it speaks the truth, it is acting on its own nature. It is speaking in its native tongue. I know that sounds cynical, but that is the truth. And the church is not immune to this. In fact, Satan regards the church as kind of ripe for harvest when it comes to telling lies. Here's what Peter says about it. He's been talking to us last week about prophets. He says this week in in 2 Peter 2, the first few verses, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Peter gives us this distinction. He says the testimony of the prophets, the prophets of old, was absolutely reliable because those prophets were carried along, he says, by the Spirit of God. False prophets are also carried along, but they are carried along by something much darker. They speak their father's native language. Now, the point of this whole series that we've been in, in 1 Peter, is that authenticity requires of us that the destination be reflected in the journey. In other words, where it is that we're going, what we're trying to get to, what we're trying to arrive at, that needs to be reflected in how we live now. What steps we take, what we value, where we're going, all of that is going to be evident in the way that we travel. If the kingdom of Christ is the best life, if it is the highest form of existence, if, if it is our creator's intent for us, and we really believe that God loves us and wants the best for us, then that kingdom of Christ will be the thing that we strive for. We will pray for it. We will speak about it. We will serve it. We will live it out. In order to change the journey, false teachers simply alter the destination. 
Or as Peter says, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now, the church is made up of believers, and we are uh, believers. Scripture talks about us being believers because we have faith in things even though we haven't seen them. Scripture talks about this faith being special, about it being wonderful, that you have this kind of faith, that you can believe even though you some of these things you have not seen personally. Now, we believe because of the things that we have seen, because of the testimony that we received, because of the truth ha- that has been revealed to us. But we need to understand that a faith that is immature, a faith that is unstudied, a faith that is unprepared, is vulnerable to deception. False teachers are drawn to believers specifically because believers have decided there is more to life than what I can see. That's a great thing, but it also makes believers vulnerable to deception unless they're prepared for it. Serving the father of lies, false teachers, make believers their primary target. For instance, when we've talked about this before, but uh, in our culture, a lot of false teachers have changed the destination from the kingdom to prosperity. And so rather than seeking the kingdom, we just seek the Lord's blessings. We come in, we put our coins in the divine machine, and we pull the handle, and we hope that it all pays off. And so what do we have? We have so many spiritually impoverished Christians who are looking for health and wealth and ease and comfort because changing the destination has altered the entire journey. It's no longer about Jesus. It's no longer about his kingdom. It's about mine. It's no longer about his mission. It's about mine. And Peter says in doing this, these false teachers reject the sovereignty of Christ. He says even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. They are continuing to use the language of lordship. They're still talking about Jesus. They're still reading his word. But they are picking and choosing what scriptures to believe, picking and choosing which scriptures to preach and to teach, sometimes twisting the word of God to say the opposite of what it actually says. This is remarkable to me. That's not to say that there aren't legitimate debates, because there are. We sometimes have legitimate disagreements over interpretation, over translation, over understanding, over theology, over ecclesiology. But false teachers reserve the right to edit Scripture, to add to it, to take away from it, to include what they want, to exclude what they want in order to make Scripture compliant with the morality of the culture or the morality of me. 
And it works both those ways. Sometimes, sometimes we exclude things or we twist things in Scripture and so that the, the morality of the culture seems more reasonable, more biblical than it did. Sometimes we add requirements to the Scripture so that I have a certain control over you as a religious leader. Whichever direction this uh, particular false teaching goes, what we need to understand is that Christ cannot simultaneously be the king of this kingdom and be subject to our revisions. We are working here from the assumption that the word of God is absolute truth. If it is difficult, if it is uncomfortable, if there are things that we don't understand, that we can't make sense of, then we need to dig deeper, we need to look further, we need to try and understand more, but ultimately what we've got to get here is that this is not about us conforming the word of God to the culture, this is about us as human beings being transformed by the word of God. But so many false teachers today have changed the definition, have changed the destination from the kingdom to self-actualization. And so all that really matters here is the individual. The individual and his experience, her experience matters more than God's truth. And so what do we end up with? We end up with these Bible revisionist Christians twisting Scripture to say things that it simply doesn't say. And so we hear these messages from cultural Christians. Probably messages about gender and sexuality right now stand out in, in my mind, but really beyond that, just think about what the culture has to say about sexuality in any sense. Not just the hot button issues of the day. What does the culture say to us about sexuality, about purity, about modesty? about promiscuity, about character, about relationship, about romance, about dating, about marriage. And how often do we in the church try to bend our understanding of God's way to accommodate the way that the world functions? Well, let's, let's bring it a little closer to home perhaps. What's our great commission? Jesus says, you're going to go into all the world. You're going to what? Make disciples. What are you going to do to them? You're going to baptize them and teach them to obey. Let's play another round of Doug's prophetic credentials. A year ago, I said, Jesus calls us to discipleship, to baptism, and to obedience. And much of the Christian world has treated some or all of these as optional. Brothers, if the king's decrees don't stand, 
you are not living in the kingdom. And so false teachers substitute religion for the kingdom. Peter says they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. This is, this is not about whether or not we're liked as Christians. This is about whether we're worthy. True disciples of Jesus are going to receive the world's hatred from time to time. That is a given. Jesus tells us as much. But he also says that we'll be known for our love. So if we're going to be hated by the world, let's not be hated because of our religious positions. Let's be hated because we are authentically followers of Jesus Christ. So many false teachers have changed the destination from kingdom to religion. And religion is just a set of rules and rituals that we use to keep us out of hell. And so what do we end up with? Immature Christians who never grow beyond their fear of punishment. See, religion rarely generates sincere disciples of Jesus. It rarely generates champions of the truth or champions of kingdom. And the way things have always been done has more authority, more influence than the mission of Christ. And these false teachers have a sense of moral superiority that they imagine insulates them from the judgment of God. But Peter says their destruction has not been sleeping. He goes on in verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a right among them day after stress by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. See, false teachers deny their accountability to God. They won't deny your accountability to God. They deny their own. And so what do we have? We watch in the church and in the world false teachers all around us who act with complete impunity. Imagining that God is absent, that God is lazy in his judgment, that he is unwilling to act, or perhaps that he's so permissive he'll just give everybody a pass. Peter says the Lord is willing and able and has demonstrated his determination. He will rescue the righteous and he will destroy darkness. False religion has 
poisoned the church over the centuries. It is evident now in our culture in the form of this new secular religion. You notice this, that as we cast God aside, we've created a whole new religious construct for ourselves. It redefines what it means to be redeemed. It redefines morality. It redefines justice. It redefines love. It is judgmental and self-righteous. It has a moral superiority that allows its members to shame one another for not being in compliance. Oddly enough, it even has its own hypocrites, its own busybodies and gossips. This new world religion has everything that any religion could hope to offer you except, except for God. Because ultimately, this is a religion of godlessness. The destination has been changed from the kingdom of Christ to a kingdom of godlessness in which we say we are the purveyors of our own utopia. We will create the world that we want to see. And in this sense, there is nothing new about this religion. It is the truth about all false teaching that ultimately is about displacing God and replacing him with my selfish heart. Peter goes on in verse 17, he says, These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. See, the greatest tragedy in life is to have the truth within your grasp and to surrender it voluntarily. We live in an information culture that is driven by misinformation. All of this is what Peter calls a dry stream. You go looking for refreshment, you go looking for the cool, clear water, what do you find? Nothing. This is the most persistent reality behind what the world professes to us as truth, is that if you dig deep enough, you find out there is nothing there. Nothing. 
see the consensus of the crowd is not truth. We, I mean, we, we're constantly told that it is. If enough people believe it, that makes it real. Might complain as Christians. Nobody seems to agree with us. That's kind of the point. We're not the crowd. The consensus of the crowd does not make things true. It doesn't matter how many times a lie is repeated. It doesn't matter how many people believe the lie. The lie is still the lie. The truth is still the truth. The gratification of sinful desire is not truth. And this one's going around a lot, folks, right now. It's this notion that the desire within me defines who I should be and how I should act. Folks, we as human beings are, are pretty great, and we're pretty awful. Some of the things that we desire pretty bad. The lie may be what we want. It may serve our immediate purposes. But without Without the righteousness of Christ, desire will only bring on our destruction. And here's one that maybe is a challenge for us specifically. The language of religion cannot make lies into truth. A lie that dresses up and goes to church is still a lie. The guy who stands in this position has to be held accountable by others who will search the scriptures who hold him so. Why? Because if it's not so, then I can stand up in front of you and tell you whatever I want. Just because I told you in a church building, just because I hold a title, will not turn a lie into the truth. A lie remains a lie, the truth remains the truth. The self-righteous do not escape judgment. Whether I'm a nominal Christian dressed in the cloak of false religion, whether I'm a cultural justice warrior cloaked in my false morality, no one escapes the righteous judgment of God. What are we going to do about all of this? Well, I'm running out of Peter. I'm running out of this letter. Almost done. I'm running out of the opportunity to try to convince you of this fundamental truth that we must draw deep from the well of truth. I have repeated it over and over, get into the Word of God. It is our first and best defense against the deception of the world. Read it, pray it, live it, serve it. It is the only antidote to the darkness. It is the only source of light. I have tried to make the point repeatedly, you're probably sick of hearing it, but let me say it one more time. 
we are extremely deliberate here about trying to teach you the word. I want to challenge each and every one of us to be deliberate about learning it. Ultimately, folks, it is a great blessing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness don't hunger because they have gorged themselves on garbage. It is a great blessing to step up to the buffet of misinformation and recognize it for the filth, for the lies, for the pestilence that it is. Or as Peter puts it, the pig's muddy sty or the dog's second helping of his already consumed meal. False teachers permeate our world. And folks, they are always seeking to permeate the church. Always. As the old adage says, the best defense is a good offense. And the offense in this case is the word of God. Is that we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, will commit ourselves to knowing and speaking the truth of God being that light that shines into that darkness 